This is Deep Dish from the Chicago Council on Global Affairs, a weekly podcast going beyond the headlines on critical global issues. I'm Brian Hansen, Vice President of Studies at the Council, and I'm here today with author Kamal also Lily, uh, who is a journalism professor at Ryerson University in Canada and author of the recent book, Brown, What Being Brown in the World Today Means to Everyone. Welcome. It's good to have you here. Thank you very much, Brian. Also joining us is Mayor Michael Nutter, the former mayor of Philadelphia, who is a distinguished fellow on global cities here at the council. Welcome, Mayor. Thank you, Brian. Today we're going to talk about the impact of inclusion and and marginalization in the world. And I'd like to lead off just by asking both of you to talk a little bit, describe for us what the current status is of communities of color in in, um, cities, both in the United States, um, Mayor Nutter, and also around the the world. How would you characterize the current situation? I think the past uh, 18 months, almost two years now, I mean, much of the U.S. attention has uh, really been dominated by the presidential election. Uh, Many of the comments and statements made by any number of different candidates about all kinds of things. Um, But uh, it has uh, ultimately led to, I think, a lot of people being very nervous about what has happened. But the election is the election, and that part is over. And I think the confusion is now, um, did uh, candidate uh, Donald Trump mean all the things that he said, uh, or upon being president-elect, or even subsequent, uh, actually becoming president of the United States of America, uh, what does any of that mean? And I think we're in a period of uh, confusion uh, and fear. Um, I agree uh, with what the mayor just said, and uh, but I would also like to put it in a in a kind of a global context a little bit because. To some extent, this 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 U.S. Um, election campaign has fed off um, um, stories or narratives that are, that are playing in Europe, in Australia, mm-hmm. um, and in, even in parts of in parts of Asia, and it is largely motivated by um, uh, by this fear of um, a tide of migrants. It's not just individual migrants; mm-hmm. it's this fear of a wave that will overwhelm society. It's not necessarily true but it is the perception is how it's how um, either right-wing media or or, or general media is is portraying it and um, most of it actually comes um, at a moment in history where um, we are still recovering from the Great Recession of 2008 2009 mm-hmm. so it tends it, it tends to play up on people's emotion and and create and and this this sort of wave of immigrants which generations ago would have been what made this country great, what made a lot of other countries uh, diverse and rich right. society they are, suddenly become the the violent, the job stealers, the um, the troublemakers, and that the, the language that Donald Trump particularly used about uh, undocumented Hispanic, you could actually find echoes of it in in Europe in relation to either Polish immigrants or, or uh, Muslim immigrants in general. Right. Which of course is in complete contradiction uh, to uh, the original narrative for the United States of America, mm-hmm. uh, at least. Um, people who uh, left their country, primarily the UK, being pr- uh, persecuted uh, for their religious uh, beliefs or other uh, reasons came to the United States of America, which then led to waves and waves and waves of people coming to uh, ultimately what 
came to be known as the land of the free and the home of the brave. That, mm-hmm. you know, Ellis Island. I mean, all of these stories and all of these experiences. And then you have, of course, the African-American experience, very different. Right. Uh, we're kind of brought here, yes. uh, you know, uh, yeah. not, not many people were asked, but here nonetheless. And right. so this country was built mm-hmm. by immigrants. I mean, mm-hmm. the only, I mean, unless you're an American Indian, everyone else, you know, immigrated to the United States of right. America and yeah. have all had their struggles uh, and challenges. And so suddenly uh, there are some in this country who want to turn their back mm-hmm. on all of that uh, and uh, cast immigrants as, as Kamal was saying, well, you took our jobs and you did this and you did that, with it, most of which is just not true at all. Mm-hmm. And it's our lack of understanding of each other. Uh, in an age of information, we seem to know less today uh, than at any other point uh, in time in the country. And, and we really have to work on these issues. Mm-hmm. And one of the places where these issues manifest themselves is in cities, right? Cities are these wonderful contradictions of some of the wealthiest, most successful citizens, as well as some of the folks who are struggling the worst. People talk about the tale of, of, of two cities. How can cities deal with, successfully deal with these realities, these multiple realities of people's lives? What can be done to, to help build an inclusive city in the midst of these great differences? Well, I think one of the things is um, that we have to also be a more understanding uh, society. Uh, Again, we go back to the earlier part of the conversation. Many of our immigrants, uh, whether documented or not, are working hard, taking care of their children, some starting businesses that create jobs for other people. Some, you know, Americans uh, get uh, those, uh, those jobs. Uh, from companies started by immigrants uh, in uh, in this country, and it, the fact of the matter is, is that we don't have a rational, reasonable, uh, understandable immigration policy in the United States of America for the 11 to 16 million people who are here, however they got here, uh, who want a pathway to citizenship. Um, having said that, there are some who are undocumented and who are also criminals, and I'm not for criminals homegrown, just got here, just arrived, been here all your life, right? And so we have to separate out and be a little more sophisticated, uh, I think, in our conversation uh, about, you know, who should be in the United States of America or not, uh, and that because you happen to uh, practice the faith of Islam uh, and you're coming from wherever you're coming from does not make you a terrorist, does not make you a threat uh, to the United States, just like any other, anyone else. Who wants to come here? And so we just we have to unpack a lot of this stuff and really have straight talk uh, with America and the rest of the world about what are we trying to do here. Well, we, we also have to face some some economic realities, and that a, a number a large number of uh, of immigrants in in, in 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 relation to the book I've written, like brown immigrants, are actually here to do jobs that local communities no longer. Um, one to do. Right. I mean, you look at your sort of cab drivers, the people who work at the checkout, or the people sure. who work at fast food, or even caregiving or or, or elderly care, and um, so that that that's one side. Or just lowly, they tend to be very labor intensive, low paid work, which creates that segregation because ultimately there is no 
as there's, there's not the same path that previous generations of immigrants had to middle class, mm -hmm. to middle class, just the nature of work today. Right. And we really have to sort of, among the many conversations we, we should be having is one about um, the use of cheap immigrants and migrants as cheap labor the economy depends on this cheap labor, mm -hmm. uh, and and no matter what you would, no matter what we say, the truth of the matter is that you cannot run all these hotels and and fast food chains mm -hmm. if there isn't an element of exploitation that is built into the economy, um, and and part of that is actually. Um, ends up creating the, 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 the two cities where people who have been here longer, regardless of their of their race or uh, skin color, uh, manage to transition into um, the, more, the, the more safer or affluent neighborhoods, leaving masses and masses of underemployed or, or unemployed um, um, individuals, or largely from migrant communities, duking it out in, in more crime-riddled neighborhoods and suburbs. And Kamal, I know that you looked at, I believe, 10 different cities in the research in, in mm -hmm. your book. Mm -hmm. And did you find examples of where this uh, set of challenges was dealt with better than some other places? Are there some positive examples we can positive look to? Examples. Um, positive. Can I start with the negative? <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> um, um, I mean, at, at, at the most extreme for me is the um, the the pool of labor that comes from South South Asia and Southeast Asia to the Gulf countries, for example, um, at the moment there are you know millions of workers in in Saudi Arabia, um, United Arab Emirates, and Qatar, who are pretty much working in slave-like conditions, and that is on the on the extreme end. Uh, on the other hand, you also have uh, so on, on on okay. Now that I've now that I've uh, <laughs> made the the worst case scenario, some of the um, the the better examples, um, um, if I may be so patriotic to say, are in Canada, where transition from um, either mig uh, being a um, a guest worker or a migrant worker into citizenship. Um, of from coming as a as a as a st international student into being fast tracked into citizenship, um, it, it's uh, all these transitions are all these sort of uh, legis legislations are in the works, and it it recognizes that um, when someone comes here, they're not just a worker; they're a human being. I mean, there's a there's an old I quote in the book uh, um, an old saying is that um, f in Germany in uh, after the Second World War when there was a um, an influx of uh, Turkish um, uh, guestarbeiter guest workers, um, someone said you wanted workers you got people, and people have dreams ambitions they want to be reunited with their families they they want to start their family, and this is the part of the uh, migration and inclusion that we're not thinking of, we think of them as numbers uh, and not as actually people with, with, real, with real lives. Yeah, and Mayor Nutter, you talked about the need to understand one another better. Um, Chicago is frequently characterized as a city of neighborhoods and mm -hmm. the city on a, and a, you know, has a lot of pride in the neighborhoods. And another way to look at that is a city of intense segregation and other people point out the levels of segregation in the city. Mm -hmm. As a person who has been the mayor of a, of a big city, how do you think about building those human relationships that allow people to come into contact with each other as, yeah. as people and have a deeper understanding? Yeah. Um, I mean, a big part of that is uh, your commentary on a regular basis. I mean, as mayor, you give 
you know, half a dozen, ten speeches in the course of a day. Uh, there are actions that you can take. Uh, one of the things I did when I was in office uh, was signed an executive order uh, requiring that um, any materials that we printed uh, from the government had to be in a minimum of like 12 languages. Uh, that our 311 service, similar to the 311 system mm -hmm. here in Chicago, we have a contract with a company that can translate into 150 uh, languages. Uh, that um, I signed another executive order saying regardless of documentation status or lack thereof, anyone who was in the city uh, was deserving of service uh, and we had to provide service to those individuals. And so a part of it was actual actions uh, that uh, I tried to uh, deliver a very public message that we are an immigrant-friendly city, uh, that if something happened, if someone did something or said something, uh, I was sure to uh, speak to that uh, community directly, stay publicly, that the negative action was a negative action not to be tolerated, that in this city, uh, the one founded by William Penn on the fundamental tenets of tolerance, uh, and uh, freedom of expression and religion. I mean, it's now in, of course, our uh, Bill of Rights, but a lot of that came from that time, that those kinds of things in Philadelphia, in Pennsylvania, were completely unacceptable. And I think any mayor across the United States of America can deliver uh, that uh, kind of message. It's, you know, uh, what's your zoning code look like? Uh, what are policing services like? How, what's the makeup and composition of uh, your city workforce? And are you aggressive uh, in pursuing underrepresented uh, constituencies? Uh, what's the top level of your administration look like? You know, in the civil service, people take tests, and, you know, it takes a while to kind of change over that uh, aspect of government, but the top, top jobs, I mean, you get to pick all those folks, you know. And so, you know, I always encourage the mayors when you're thinking about people uh, and you want the highest quality folks and, you know, you shouldn't really settle, you know, for less, but where are you looking? Mm -hmm. And where are you trying to find the talent? And then whenever you decide what your group is going to be, in your mind, line them all up in front of you and take a photo because that's the picture that's going to be on the front page of your leading newspaper uh, one day. And if it's not representative of your city, people are going to notice. In the last couple of years, uh, there has been the Black Lives Matter uh, movement in the United States as a strong response uh, to, to violence and police killings uh, in the U.S. Um, what role does that play in, uh, in building an inclusive city? Well. And even before uh, Black Lives Matter, we also remember uh, that there was Occupy. Uh, and so all of these kinds of movements, whether they're just here in the United States of America, and that one may have, uh, Occupy may have actually spread to you know, other parts of uh, the world. Resistance movements, uh, one is, uh, I mean, we were founded on resistance. Uh, here in the United States of America. Uh, you know, the folks who had left the UK were not happy with, ultimately, with the crown, and, and we started a war with them. Uh, we demonstrated, we protested, uh, and we wanted to be heard. And so uh, this is a continuation of that kind of movement. The same thing with uh, Dr. Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement, LGBT, women's rights. I mean, pe uh, people are going to demand uh, their rights. And uh, what the young people are saying, black and white, um, that they don't want to be shot uh, in the streets uh, by uh, the police. And if you're unarmed or you're not doing anything or whatever the case may be, they have, uh, they've created a voice uh, out in the public uh, space. Um, 
I've not yet been able to figure out because of technology, are there more incidents or are we knowing more about the incidents that take place? And the answer to that question may not be anywhere near as important as the fact that we do know that these things are taking place. And, um, you know, many of these cases end with, you know, an officer not being charged, hung juries, um, you know, some uh, seemingly uh, lacking in, in justice. So um, it's an important movement. Um, I want to see us work on, um, again, listening and then hearing what people are really saying. What does criminal justice reform really mean? What is community policing? Uh, and it may very well mean different things in different cities, uh, but uh, at the end of the day, citizens want to go home to their family members and police officers want to go home to their family members as well. As the mayor of Philadelphia lost eight police officers killed in the line of duty. Uh, I know their families, I know their children, and they, you know, in the aftermath of that. So, I mean, I see it and understand it on both sides, uh, but at the moment, we're, the two sides are kind of not really talking to each other. And Kamal, did you, in your research, did you find anything similar to something like a Black Lives Matter? Um, first of all, the, the Black Lives Matter movement is also in Canada, um, um, because we, uh, for example, in a big city like Toronto, which is known for it to be one of the more multicultural and open cities, um, um, the, the, what we call carding, where police um, stop and ask for ID for, from black men, is is a major problem, mm -hmm. and um, so so that's that's one thing I would like to establish. Mm -hmm. But for um, for the sort of the brown Muslim community, uh, they've also been there. We we live under the same cloud of suspicion mm -hmm. all our, all our lives. Um, and if if the black if, you know sort of the black ma young male gets sort of discussed in in a discourse around criminality or violence, the the uh, the brown young Muslim always gets uh, into the in terror and security, and f in in communities like uh, in the in the Muslim community in both France and the UK where I've reported from extensively, um, there is a sense of a of of uh, of two communities here sort of under siege constantly. Uh, being thought of as not belonging, not mm -hmm. part of a fabric and of, of society, and in even in, in in Canada recently, we are returning to a conversation around Canadian values, um, which is really code for those people whose mm -hmm. skin color and beliefs we don't like, mm -hmm. and therefore we want to set them outside of our mainstream. And it's it's always the case that. There has to be a, com a th that community changes and, so, and it overlaps. So it's black, black and brown at the mm -hmm. moment. Mm -hmm. um, but there has to be a community that becomes the site of all our fears and 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 um, worries about either our security mm -hmm. in, in a physical or a kind of uh, financial sense. And at the moment, I would say both the black and the brown community um, are at it. I mean, generations ago, it would have been um, the Japanese um, uh, the, uh, during this, the, the Second, Second World War, War. Sure. the Russians um, uh, and during the Cold War. Every society needs its demons. What do you think is one important misconception of this issue, and how do you wish people would think about it? I mean, from my perspective, just literally getting across a message that, you know, all black men are not dangerous. All black men are not criminals. Um, many of us take care of our families, take care of our children. 
uh, work hard uh, and want to be productive members of society. And yet, um, that is an ingrained component and stereotype in movies, in books, uh, in on the news, um, and uh, y- you know it's just it's just really tough, um, you know. Uh, and so again, I mean, some level of discussion and understanding. I mean, 2008, uh, Senator Barack Obama becomes uh, president of the United States of America, and there was this. You know, this uh, excitement and joy, and I was certainly one of the most excited and, and joyful about it. But then, the, you know, there was this whole new narrative. Well, we're in a post-racial environment. We've elected one black man president of the United States of America. And now 400 years of all the worst possible things that have happened are all gone. Peace, love, and happiness. Let's sit around and hold hands and, and sing some campfire songs. And, I mean, that is nonsense. And we've seen that play out time and time and time again. And, I mean, we, we just, you know, the young people say, we, we, we've got to get real with each other. I'm, I'm, to that, I'm going to agree with everything uh, the mayor just said. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll come at it from a more personal uh, point of view. I'm tired of being the problem. I think I'm also part of the solution, and I should be part of the solution. I'm tired of being talked about as undesirable, as, um, as a cause for concern. Uh, when I bring... I, and by that I mean people who either look like me or, okay, or have the same background as me, bring so much to the table, and we are not included um, in the solution. We're only included in the problem. And I think for all of us to be successful, um, certainly diversity and the diversity of our communities is something that's only going to increase uh, as yeah. time goes on, and it's something we're going to have to learn how to manage much much better. I want to thank you, Kamal and Mayor Nutter, for joining us this week. And thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Deep Dish. Please note that the opinions you heard today belong to those who expressed them and not the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. If you like the show, please tell your friends about it or leave us a review in iTunes to help others find us. You can find this show on iTunes under Deep Dish and on the Council's website at thechicagocouncil.org. I'm Brian Hansen. We'll talk to you next week for another slice of deep dish.